Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films streaming at BYU's International Cinema. We are now in week three of our Winter 2021 podcast. The theme this week is writers and filmmakers, and IC is featuring three films, Felonies Eight and a Half, the Greek adaptation of Antigone, and Emma, period, directed by Autumn the Wild. Today, we will address Jane Austen's newest adaptation of her novel, Emma. I'm your host, Marie-Laure Oskerton, and I'm joined here today by Dr. Jane Gardner-Hinckley from the Department of Comparative Arts and Letters. Hello, Jane. Hello. Thank you for welcoming me to your podcast. Very welcome. And Dr. Dennis Ketchins, Associate Director of the Honors Program. Welcome, Dennis. Hi. Glad to be here. So, Emma, period. And maybe this is something we can address. Why is the period in this title? This is a film that's adding to a long series of adaptation of this great novel by Jane Austen. We had a Gwyneth Pathro version of the story, a BBC miniseries, a modern day adaptation in Clueless, and others. Today, we have a new Emma with Anya Taylor-Joy as the main actress. And in this version of the novel, what are some of the things that you've noticed that um, you would like to talk about today? You know, Marie-Laure, one of the things that I quite enjoyed about this one is its tone is strikingly different from almost all the other Emmas that, that I've seen. And I don't know, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but the tone is much, it takes itself much less seriously Actually, uh, we should have a spoiler notice right now. We can talk <laughs> freely okay. about this film. And we can talk about the, the plot in details and what this film is doing that other films are not doing. And this is a warning to everybody. So maybe if you have not seen the newest version of Emma, listen to this podcast after you've, you've seen it because we are speaking freely. So go ahead. All spoilers allowed. Okay, well, I'm just going to spoil it then. The zombies Good win point. and everybody's killed in the end. <laughs> All right, that is, oh, shoot, maybe that one we should have not talked about. <laughs> no, it's, um, it, it takes itself much less seriously. And so almost all of the Emmas that, that I've seen prior to this, it seems funny to say that, but almost all of the Emmas that I've seen prior to this uh, fit into what we usually call the heritage model, right? It's Uh, it's very sort of serious. There's lots of big dresses and sort of high language and uh, care. Uh, I, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a whole tradition of those things. And this one doesn't feel like that. The big dresses are still there and the language is largely, you know, transported from the novel, but it doesn't feel the same way. It feels much lighter. It doesn't seem to take itself as seriously. What, what do you think, Jane? Oh, I agree. It's a visual confection for sure. And the humor that is evident in the novel, I think, has been translated well into the movie. And Bill Nye is my favorite Mr. Woodhouse. There's lots of visual humor that's being used that I just welcome and think is splendid, as well as just some interesting approaches to the way they present the characters as more fallible individuals. Yeah. And right off the beginning, right, we are, we are, we are confronted with the humanity of those characters who before were on a real pedestal. They are dressing up 
Um, they are warming themselves in unmentionable ways in front of the fire. <laughs> um, and um, there is a draft that seems coming to come back in the home that we need to absolutely control. And that is so funny. The music as well. The music mm-hmm. just um, really brings this comedic aspect to, to the film. And as well, the servants, their body language, the servants are very... Mm-hmm. They're very, very important in this in this new adaptation of Emma. And and they have a message in the way that they are framed and as well the, their body language. Anyway, very much. Um, oh, and we see the collapse of Mr. Knightley. We've never uh-huh. seen this before, have we? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, I agree. And it's interesting that American-based adaptations usually erase the servant class, whereas the they, British they, highlight it. Yeah, they're almost always invisible. So, so yeah, this is the, the servants have character in this one. Mm-hmm. And they don't get a lot of lines. Uh, in, in that way, they follow the, the, uh, they follow the novel. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, their expressions and, and how they cater to or assist this lifestyle is there. Yes. And speaking of the body language, I read an article about Emma DeWide and her inspiration, some of the films that inspired her in Emma, in the making of Emma. And one of them is My Uncle by Jacques Tati. And this is very much like slapstick humor. This is a film where actually dialogues are not important and non-existent. And I think we see we see this aspect uh, very strongly with the the parts that the servants play in this film. So yeah, something that was interesting to um, to me as a absolutely fan of Jacques Tati and his films. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the draft. So, in 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 the novel and in and in all of the adaptations, Mister Woodhouse is frightened of being sick and and always worried that he's coming down with a cold or something. And and they use they, the screens that he uses around his fireplace become a running joke in this film. <laughs> yeah. um, and and it's just lovely. It's 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 fun and 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 it feels light. I I never. Uh, I'm never worried that this is going to turn into a tragedy. I'll put it that way. <laughs> that's right. And very much a, a humor that's self-aware. We're not laughing so much at as at them that we're we're laughing with them, right? Yeah, there seems to be some knowing looks uh, from Bill Knight uh, as these screens act metaphorically to the way that he's trying to shelter himself from the changes that are happening around him. And the changes, it's true. Okay, so if we if we see, especially like you you mentioned the 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 dresses and the big dresses and everything, but Mister Woodhouse in this film looks like wallpaper, and he is sitting in the in a chair, and he he could melt in it. And I'm wondering if it's a a direct message on this aristocracy that is disappearing from England, like a, a social change that's announced in this film and and very much present what do you think about the the social message and and the this look at society on the brinks of change you know i i know jane has some things to say about this but but i'll just jump in uh, for a second to talk about this in terms of the other adaptations and the novel mm-hmm. largely as i've read emma in the past and as i've seen earlier adaptations 
the the wealth um, that the Woodhouses or the Knightleys or the other families, the wealth that these folks enjoy has seemed normal, has been normalized largely. Mm-hmm. This is the way people should live. This is the way uh, this is the way we expect people to live. And in this film, the wealth is made to look strange. It is foreignized in some ways. And so you mentioned the servants. We could also mention uh, some of the other families that we get to see, including the Bates family. That stuff has always been there, but the wealth has been normalized. The servants are largely made invisible. This is how people should live. And you mentioned, Mary Laura, the, the dressing scene we do get to see both Emma and Mr. Knightley get dressed at one point. And, and it's so strange. Uh, it is made to look so foreign to our, to our contemporary eyes as they're just standing there sort of with their arms out and being dressed. And you realize, wow, this, this is a kind of living that I'm utterly unfamiliar with. Uh, that's completely foreign to my experience. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I probably interrupted Jane. What were you going to say? No, that's that's wonderful. I appreciate you uh, teasing that out further. Emma's a really interesting novel because it's uh, the heroine that Austin chooses is not economically or socially marginalized. When you think about her other heroines, marriage really is a necessity for them. But Austin has created. Emma, and I love how in the adaptation, it starts with the opening line from the novel, where she is clever. She's rich, clever, and handsome. I think I've got the order wrong, so uh, apologies for that. And so the marriage plot is no longer as necessary for Emma. And so she can vicariously get involved in the more traditional for Austin marginalized heroines. And so having this displaced or unusual character really lets us see how Austin can sneak in or bring in how the economic possibilities for women really haven't changed, even though the world is changing. Uh, She's chosen a place, Highbury is a fictional town in the county of Surrey, and Surrey is a county that's south of London. It's like a bedroom community for London, and it's the place where a lot of people who received their wealth from the Industrial Revolution come to, like it's a suburb, they come to buy a house and uh, live very genteely. And we have lots of upward mobility happening in the novel. You've got the Coles have been a family with trade that have bought a house in Highbury. Mr. Weston was a soldier turned tradesman who has now bought a house in Highbury. Mr. Elton is a vicar who has got a trade background who marries uh, Augusta um, Hawkins, who is also an heiress from trade. So there's lots of upward mobility, but then, as uh, Dennis pointed out, you've got the Bateses who have gone down in society, and there's not a lot of options open for women to have access to generating income in the Industrial Revolution. And so the Bateses live in a small, cramped little house, and you've got Jane Fairfax, who probably would have been the logical choice 
thinking about how Austin used her characters in earlier novels, she would have been the one that would have been the heroine, but uh, she's not. And we see how Austin can bring about this subtle critique of how genteel women don't have access to income. The options available for Jane Fairfax are to either live hand of mouth existence like grandmother and aunt Miss Bates, or to become a governess, or most unlikely to marry. That's it. So it's it's intriguing. And just by the way, the houses usually chosen for sets are often above the economic situation that what's promoted or described in the novel. So that was really long and rambly. Sorry, did I even answer the question? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, Jane. I think it's very important for us to have that context, that socioeconomic uh, context, because it's true that this society is shown to us as like, this is it. This is how we live. But in this film, we see the cracks more mm-hmm. than I think in the other ones. I don't know, Dennis, um, what, what you think. And I think you've expressed this already, but maybe you 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 can uh, tell us more what you think about the different adaptations so far and what this one brings to the table. Do you know, that's a, I was talking with a guy um, and I'm not going to remember his name right now, but he had written an adaptation of, I want to say it was Persuasion, but I could be wrong. But I I asked him how he started writing these, uh, this was a stage adaptation. I asked him how he started writing these, his adaptation. And he said, well, I look, I look for cracks. Mm. Um, And I, and I thought, I don't know what do you mean. And and he said, well, I I have to find a way into the text. And so I look for things that uh, don't make sense or I look for things that, that seem problematic, or uh, that I just look for cracks. And if you go and watch, for instance, if you, if you go and watch the 1996 Emma, one of the things you'll see is just a smooth, polished facade mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't admit a lot, of, uh, a lot of cracks. We don't get to see Mr. Knightley except when Emma's there, for instance. We don't get to see him mm-hmm. on his own. And one of the things that that happens in this in this Emma is that we get to see Mr. Knightley when Emma's not there, and so he looks different. There is a facade, right? There is a polished surface that he shows to the other characters that's not there when he's when he's by himself. And this film shows him by himself, which which is a director's choice. And so so that's something that's. I, and you asked about adaptations, right? Sometimes we think of adaptations as as different things, right? And one metaphor I've heard used is an adaptation is like a, a transposition in music, where where we're going to take a a piece of music and we're going to move it to another key. And I don't I don't think that's a good metaphor for adaptation in a number of reasons, right? I can ask a computer to transpose uh, a piece of music, and and it can do it just just fine. I can even ask it to transpose to a minor key, right? Something that was a major key. And, and the computer can do that just fine. But if I ask someone to sing it, so I want you to imagine in your mind for a moment, uh, Michael Buble singing Silent Night. 
you can hear his voice, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and he has a very distinctive style. And picture Barbara Streisand or hear Barbara Streisand singing Silent Night. And now in your mind, listen to the Tabernacle Choir singing Silent Night. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about in each of those cases is an act of interpretation. And, and that to me is one of the key turns of any adaptation is that it requires an interpretation. So a stage production of Emma, where they've had to interpret the way characters move or the way characters dress or the way characters speak, each of those things, to me, starts to feel like an adaptation. So anyway, uh, in this Emma, they've made some interpretations. And, uh, and one of those interpretations was to think, you know, I bet Mr. Knightley is not as perfect or Mr. <laughs> Knightley has a different character that he doesn't show when there aren't people around. And so they choose to give us a couple of scenes, not not scenes from the novel. They choose to give us a couple of scenes of Mr. Knightley when no one else is around. And he's a very different guy. And it changes my feeling about the novel. So anyway, that was, that was also a very long uh, chat. You can tell we're both professors, <laughs> can't you? <laughs> And we love this here. <laughs> can, can I just add to Dennis's really great observation? I like how they play up his jealousy in this adaptation because he has to learn things too in the novel. Too often we look at him as just Emma's teacher and she has to learn everything from him. But he also has to admit that her perceptions, as flawed as they are, are sometimes better than what he thought they were. And so I really liked how they showed like a more humane, flawed nightly that he too has character arc that has to progress. 